O wisdom pouring forth from the mouth of the Most High, reaching from one end of eternity to the other, mightily and sweetly ordering all things, come and teach us the way of love and life. Amen. Our reading today from Romans is Paul's letter to the Romans is among the most well-known and often quoted books of the Bible, and probably one of Paul's most famous letters. It forms the basis of much of Martin Luther's theology with his famous doctrine, Justification by Faith, which we read about later in Romans 6, I think. Um, this is the introduction to the letter, wherein he introduces himself to the Roman Church, explains who he is, what he wants, and his purposes for writing. The part I want to focus on, though, the part I want to narrow in on, is the part right at the end. Paul writes that he is unashamed of the gospel, that it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. And in this gospel, God is revealed in the somewhat esoteric, odd-sounding line, through faith, for faith, and that the righteous shall live by faith. If you read a lot of Paul, you will find yourself reading a lot about faith. It seems to be central to his understanding both of Christianity and of life. He talks a lot about it, a lot. But what does faith mean? So, me being a good and deaf student, now graduate, I went to the Greek because I'm American. Um, and the Greek word that we translate faith is pistis. It has a range of meanings, obviously, faith being one of them. But among them are also trust, belief, and value. Obviously, this is a good translation of faith as faith, but trust, belief, and value are sort of in the background, kind of informing what it also could be. Nowadays, though, I think we think about faith in a different way. It's one of those words that we use in church a lot, or in other contexts, but not usually on its own. It's usually sort of put up against another thing, or sort of like a foil, or an opposite. There are those who will talk about faith in one negative way, and they'll talk about it in contrast to reason or science. And they'll speak about it in this way that faith and science are completely irreconcilable. Faith being about the subjective, fluffy things over here, and science about the hard, objective truth. Sometimes we'll just talk about faith and science in a slightly more uh, charitable way. We'll talk about it as if they are just um, filling up two different spheres. Faith is about the sacred about the spiritual, science, about, well, everything else. Or, the other way we talk about faith is that we talk about it as sort of an opposite of doubt. Faith is this bastion of understanding, and you cannot question a single thing because to have true faith is to never question or doubt. I don't think either of these are happening. I don't think either of them yet to the point. So let's talk about that. When faith is spoken about as being in conflict with science, it's usually because faith is assumed to be about believing things that 
we apparently have no business believing in. Faith is about unproven, illogical things like the resurrection, the existence of God, or the leaf splitting the stem. Um, my father knows that person. He's a You can make fun of him. Science is touted as the be all end all of truth. It is objective, logical, and explains everything. Some, however, speak about faith. As I said, it is filling two different spheres. And I used to think that this different spheres idea, the different ways of thinking, I think that, I thought that was a good way of thinking about it when I was younger, but the more that I grow and think, the more I find it less useful. Because I think it tends to lead to us living out separated lives, split between the realms of the rational and the spiritual, the logical and the subjective. And I think that if you think about this this way, it sells faith in science sort of short. Because up until very recently, that is, the last couple hundred years, faith was assumed to be a very rational and very logical, reasonable thing. There are hundreds, no thousands of books about the rationality of the existence of God and the plausibility of the resurrection. Indeed, in the medieval ages, the Middle Ages, theology was considered the queen of the sciences, the pinnacle of educated thought. Indeed, there was uh, a, <clears throat> a argument for God that was put forward by Anselm of Canterbury in the 900s, and it is still debated to this very day. And what we now merely call science, was just one branch of the larger tree of knowledge. It was called natural science, natural philosophy. And yes, science requires the intellect. It requires rigorous, objective study. But it also requires faith. Faith that our calculations are correct. Faith that we can truly understand what we understand. When I studied science in uh, Dalhousie, doing my biology degree, I actually had to use my faith quite a bit because I had to trust that what I was doing made sense. When I held a jar of flies and I was observing them, I had to have faith that what I was observing was actually logical, that it could make sense. Most of all, science hinges on the assumption that our universe is rational, that it makes logical sense that we can actually study it, that it was a certain way and will continue to be that way. And fortunately, it is. This is excellent proof for the existence of God in general, because if the universe were not created by a rational, reasonable, logical being, it shouldn't exist as it does at all. Thus, when scientists do their work, they are putting their faith in the idea that the universe makes sense, and thank God that it does. And because the universe was created by a rational, logical being, the faith that we put into this being ought to also be rational, reasonable, logical. The things that I mentioned earlier that we may call irrational, like the resurrection or the virgin birth, are not actually themselves irrational. They are not illogical. True, they are impossible in the sense that they cannot happen without God, but seeing as how God exists, then they are certainly possible and rational. 
Indeed, if you use this logic to talk about something else, we could talk about how it is impossible for, a drive, for driving cars to exist, because that would require a driver. But all of you showed up to church today, presumably having driven. Thus, if we can only assume that driving is impossible if we reject the existence of drivers, which is great. Miracles and matters of faith are actually perfectly rational and logical because they recall the very God who created them in the first place. Faith is not the dim-witted fool that stumbles around blindly, but by the light, but the light by which logic finds its way in the world. So that is science. But what about faith as opposed to doubt? Faith that is unyielding, unmoving, may seem strong, but Consider the wing of an airplane. I work at the airport doing bag checking, and one of the things that you'll see on a very windy day is the wing of an airplane wobbling up and down. And if you're brave while you're on a plane and looking out the window, you will see the wing flex under the pressure of the wind. But this is necessary. If the wind, if the wing were rigid, if it could not flex, the pressure would shatter it, and it would fall out of the sky. Actually, the flexing allows for the plane to rise and soar. It is why those who defend their opinions with unyielding intensity are actually defending an incredibly brittle faith. Strong faith is able to withstand the test of pressure, flexing where it needs to, and holding firm where it ought. I find that good markers of holding firm are things like the creed, scripture as understood in the reading of community, and the traditions that have held fast throughout the ages. I like definitions, so I'll share with you my quick definition of faith. It is not a mindless stab in the dark, but the reasoned, deliberate thought upon God and his promises, and the trust that these promises will come to pass. And the gospel that Paul preaches is just one of these promises. That is, that God the Son was incarnate in the person of Jesus and died that we may all live sinless and pure with him for eternity. This gospel reveals the righteousness of God in that it shows God's very faithfulness to his people. We've been speaking at length of the multi-act play we are in wherein God calls his people and leads them through all sorts of trials before finally coming himself to earth and redeeming us at the end of the age. God's faithfulness to us in coming to earth reveals the power of God. It is for this that Paul writes, by faith, for faith. It is the faithfulness of God that inspires our faith. The gospel is the very faithfulness of God, and his righteousness is thus. God cares for his creation and loves it. He loves us. And so the faithfulness of God ought to inspire us to live for and with him. The righteousness of God shall be revealed in the lives of God's people when we live by faith. That is, when we live with deliberate, logical, reasoned, flexible trust in God, the world will see the light of the gospel for what it is, the power of salvation for those who trust in God.
If faith is unseeing and rigid, it is of no use, and the world is right to discard it. But that is not faith. May the world see our faith for what it is, the righteousness of God made manifest in our lives.